Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 132. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey Nick, how's it going? I'm doing great, John. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. Hey, so this week we have uh, part two of our discussion with uh, Jonathan Frappier. And if you missed part one, don't forget to go back and listen. Jonathan had some early teaching experience that he carried into his IT experience. He started blogging on the side to build a body of work, and he ended up joining a larger company and had to deal with some of the challenges of, I don't have big company experience in the interview process. Yeah, definitely. Uh, if you haven't listened to episode 131, it's it's worth a listen. Great discussion. And uh, Jonathan's like a really interesting conversation. I just uh, can't wait to get back and talk to him again, to be honest. <laughs> um, I think in part two, the, the stuff that I'm looking forward to is maybe the discussion that he had about getting into V Brown Bag. Because that's an organization that I've, you know, consumed the content of a bunch. And then also like kind of the, the tickling around the edges of, uh, of career burnout. And that was, that was one of those things that we've talked about before. You don't always know is going to come out in the interview, but you'll see that it does. It was a very interesting discussion of the way he kind of pulled himself out. And if you think about it, it was actually based on some project management principles that he'll talk about too. Yeah, I also like his um, kind of introduction and discussion of the Scrum stuff that he got into uh, a little bit later on, a little bit more recently, I suppose. Um, and, uh, you know, that that was really helpful to, to kind of get his perspective and overview of, of that uh, methodology. I was going to say technology, but it's not really a technology. Methodology. Yeah, great stuff for sure. Cool. Yeah, so let's um, not give too much of a preview although we've probably already gone past that and get into the actual episode here it is the second part of our conversation with jonathan Frappier. well i know at some point before that you got involved with v brown bag uh, can you just tell everybody what that is real quick in case someone listening doesn't know what it is and how you got involved and maybe how it impacted this role? Sure. So V Brown Bag is a community-run, community-fed. We've called it a podcast for a long time. I think it's more than that. It's somewhere between a webinar and an and a learn, informal learning platform. So it would be you or I, there's a topic we're interested in and we want to present on that topic, maybe just because we love it, maybe because we're just trying to, to get visibility into a, a technology or a company that we want to work for. And the more we can be out there talking about super cool tool X, you know, the better for my chances to get that next job using that, that whatever that technology is. 
Uh, so it actually had started maybe a year or two before I joined as an informal study group. Like, hey, we're all studying for our VCP. I'm going to take section one and really deep dive super into section one of the blueprint. You take section two and you take section three, and then we're all going to get back together and we'll teach each other what we learn. Instead of trying to have to spread ourselves too thin across different areas, I can dive super deep on vMotion and you can dive super deep on DRS and you can dive super deep on storage. So the people that were working on it were recording. Uh, they were recording live, but I think mostly it was the the output of those live uh, webinars that they were doing that people would then go and consume. And when I was going for my VCP, found those to be extremely helpful. And they had just uh, Cody Bunch, who got it started, had just throw a, threw a tweet out one day. It's like, hey, we're we're looking for help on V Brown Bag. And I was like, well, I'm using all your stuff to study, so I might as well. Uh, I might as well provide some support somewhere. And, you know, at first it was just, you know, I had never hosted a podcast or even done any sort of live speaking, whether on a, a video conference or in person. So it's like, hey, you know, here here I am. I'll do something. You know, what's a what's a task that sort of stinks right now that I can help? And it was like, take take our recordings, clean them up and put them on YouTube. All right, cool. I can do that. And it evolved over time it's definitely it's the type of group where you can make it into what you want it to be so it helped me in terms of speaking and presenting and uh, on tying in on all those educational aspects at at some point you know when when we ran out of topics for what the vcps were at the time well what do we do next well let's talk to the the people on Twitter that are listening to us. Let's talk to our coworkers. What's the next thing you need to learn? Oh, you need to learn DevOps. Oh, yeah, that that seems kind of important. Let's figure that out. Let's get people into to talk about those technologies so we can branch out from, you know, the VMware focused topics to to other technologies. And now they're covering. They go anywhere from Python to AI to I think they just did one uh, on how to get into uh, the video game industry through technology. So. They cover a lot of different topics now from the from how it started. That's really cool. That sounds like it really fed that um, the uh, teaching part, uh, that that giving back part that you emphasized earlier on too. So I have to admit, I think that I made a bad assumption there, Jonathan, because in my mind, having not really discussed it with you before, I figured that V Brown Bag and your participation in that was what gave you the extra boost for the recruiter to want you for that job. Maybe uh, that was a bad assumption. Uh, It was a good assumption. It just, the way that the two lined up, I think when I started at EMC, I was really more in the background and not, not hosting yet, uh, not having presented uh, any topics on V Brown bag. So once I started at EMC, one of the things that I didn't plan on and didn't come up in the interview is that we actually had to teach the content we were putting together, uh, both in person, like instructor led type formal courseware and the hands-on labs. So when I found out about that, having never presented or done any sort of public speaking, I was a, a bit nervous and getting through those first couple of classes, I think gave me the confidence to say, well, I clearly know enough about what I'm talking about. I just taught a room full of solutions architects, things about VMware they didn't know before. And 
you know, being in that environment, being able to answer questions live, I, you know, I, I held my own, or at least I felt I did. Everyone said I did a good job. So then I was more willing to participate in some of the, the, the public aspects of what V Brown Bag was doing, hosting, asking our presenters questions, getting on presenting myself, which led me to uh, presenting a live V Brown Bag at VMworld which led me to uh, presenting at some other local uh, tech events like VMUGS. Yeah, and that's the stuff that's all part of that body of work that ends up on YouTube that is publicly accessible, much like your blog, all part of what we might call career capital that you can cash in on. It's interesting that the need to teach the courses didn't come up in the interviews. Uh, is that just fall into the other duties as a sign bullet? Yeah, I think that, I think that's how they uh, they thought of it, or they lost enough candidates who didn't want to do any uh, didn't want to do the in person teaching. So uh, maybe they just left that part out and figured we'd deal with it when we got got around to it. It sounds like you took it in stride. How did your teammates take it? I mean, I assume you were part of a team that was doing all this. Mm-hmm. So uh, two of my other teammates, my manager and one other person at the time or two other people at the time had been in the team for a while. So they, they knew uh, that was part of the job myself and one other person who had just started. Uh, I think it was new for us. Uh, it was definitely new for me. You know, we got up the, the, my manager was really good about breaking up the work and recognizing that we hadn't taught before or built classes. So the way he, he structured the layout of those courses. You know, we sort of got to do some of the the more basic stuff first and understand the process and and what went into producing good content and presenting good content and, you know, how labs could be structured so that, you know, people walk away and actually get something out of those. So it took a few iterations of, of, of different courses and different labs to really get our feet wet. But then, you know, once that happened, we were, uh, you know, they... There was a couple of classes and labs we threw together with nothing but uh, product videos because we couldn't get our hands on. Uh, we couldn't get our hands on, on anything prior to uh, the, when the courses needed to be out. Wow. Yeah, I guess in that case, you just kind of get told we need courses on these things. And hey, guys, go figure out how to make this happen so we yeah. can get people to pay money for it. Yeah. Uh, in some cases to get people to pay money for it. A lot of cases it was to get our our field teams able to deploy this in person uh so being you know emc being the storage background leg of the the vmware universe uh, a lot of people were transitioning from hey i know how to provision luns and you know configure uh configure different switches for my uh sand but i don't know how to vmotion anything i don't even know what vmotion is in that context so there was a lot of upskilling in the on the software side for the people that were in house at EMC. Now, at some point, you actually you you were with V Brown Bag and for quite a while. And I think sometime, let's see, did it overlap the time you were at Dell or go past that, or excuse me, Dell EMC, or go past that when you decided to maybe take a step back from V Brown Bag? <sighs> It, I probably was wrapping up my V Brown bag things just about when I left 
Dell. I think it was right around 2017, 2018. I knew I was burnt out. I didn't know why. So I just started peeling things back. You know, it got to a point where, you know, I had been doing this for almost 20 years. The, you know, blogging was fun for a while. And then I accidentally turned it into a business and stopped enjoying that. Uh, V Brown bag was fun and I got to meet a lot of people, but that even though that accelerated, I think my career a little bit and and helped what I was doing at EMC that it was so similar to what I was doing for work also started to feel like work instead of giving back. So I didn't know at that point where I was losing interest or where, where my passion had gone for technology. So I just started getting rid of things. I was like, well, I'm not writing as often. Let me, let me, back up the blog archive and on GitHub and it's gone. Okay. I don't feel any better. Let's uh, I'm not going to go to any conferences this year. So still don't feel great. Let's stop doing V Brown bag. Nope. Still not feeling good. And uh, you know, burnout's a, a tricky thing to, to, to overcome. So I just, I really just kept peeling everything back until there wasn't a lot of extracurricular tech things left. Home lab got turned off, powered off, stuck in the closet. Um, so it was just work left at, at that point and needed to find some other uh, some other activities. I mean, that's solid uh, problem solving, right? You just start turning things off mm-hmm. until uh, until the problem goes away. Yeah. And then yeah. until someone calls you screaming. Yeah. Yeah. Those are those were always the, the most fun. It's like, what does the server do? We have no idea. It's been plugged in since we got here. All right. Well. There goes the there goes the network cable and nothing the lights still are on no one's screaming so it wasn't running life support yeah I mean honestly that that's it's probably the most sane uh, way to deal with uh, kind of like career burnout and you know general burnout as well is like oh I better start you know pulling the plug on a bunch of a bunch of stuff you know that I know that's not you know critical to what it is that I'm doing and, it, and it's. I don't know if you had to go the whole nine and, you know, quit your job and, you know, find a smaller place to live and, you know, uh, uh, sell your car and ride a bicycle everywhere. Like, you know, some people have to take it to that level, but, Mm -hmm. you know, we all do what we have to do, right. To, to figure out what's going on. Yeah. For me, it was, uh, my, my daughter was, came to the rescue a little bit there when I was, uh, when I was a kid, one of the things I always wanted to do was snowboard. Uh, but that was like pretty early in like snowboarding world. And I lived, I didn't live anywhere near a mountain that I could go, you know, just pick up a board and figure it out. So she came home one day and said, I want to learn to snowboard. I was like, oh, all right. So we got her some lessons and we, we threw her out there. And after one of her lessons one day, she's like, when are you going to snowboard with me? And uh, my wife and I looked at each other. I was like, oh, I guess we need to take lessons. So we spent the next couple of years bruised and battered falling down local uh, ski trails until we figured it out. And uh, I'm definitely a happier camper in the, in the winter when I, when I get a good amount of snowboarding. That's do you awesome. Do, do you do any um, waterboarding or water ski snow, the snowboarding equivalent on yeah. a lake? Whatever uh, I have it's not called. Tri- yeah. I have not tried that yet. I think it's called surfing. There you go. Waves aren't big enough on the East Coast, at least where I live. I'm striking out today, everybody. Striking out. Yeah, I think it is amazing to find something outside work and, you know, 
hobbies that have started to feel like work that, that actually does recharge you. So um, that's a really good lesson to, to, to stumble onto. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was good timing. I think, uh, you know, the last year and a half now that everyone's had to go through, I think it's, it's more important than ever now because we're in a lot of cases remote at home more than most of us have probably ever been stuck in our house before in front of a computer screen all day to do literally everything, whether it's work or talking to your doctor or talking to your kids, teachers, like we're constantly connected now. So I think now more than ever have, you know, finding something outside maybe that you've always sort of thought you might be interested in or want to get back into um, super important now to sort of maintain that balance that, you know, I think 2020 sort of jumped in and, and blew up on everybody. Once you've done that elimination process that you went through when you were burned out and recharged, found a nice hobby, how do you determine if and when the time is right to take on something else new that's tangential to what you do at your day job, you know, something in the tech industry, or is that something you would rather not do again? So it comes in waves for me right now. So you had sent me, you know, we exchanged some emails. Oh, I think it was a Friday or Saturday. You might've messaged me on a Friday and I replied on a Saturday sort of thing. And you caught me on the way up. Right. So it still sort of, you know, right in that wave of, you know, burnout coming in and kicking you in the gut uh, when you least expect it sort of thing. If I, if you had sent me that message on like a Monday or a Tuesday, I probably would have just been, you know what? I, I don't have the energy to do it. Uh, but you caught me, you caught me catching a good wave. So rode that we're here now. So I think understanding, or maybe it might be hard to understand it. And this actually, this process and talking to you guys might actually be helping me sort of figure out like it like surfing, uh, which I got to do a few times early in, in my career because I had to travel out to California, but sort of being able to see the wave coming and not have it knock you over and instead sort of get up on top of it and, and, and ride that and use some of that natural energy that you're gonna, your body and your brain and your emotions are going to be able to, to grab onto if you can ride that way better than getting knocked over and, you know, eating a bunch of jerk. So, uh, you know, I think you, you need to be able to look out for how you're feeling at any given moment and recognize that even if you're down, uh, whether it's the extracurricular stuff or whether it's, you know, the day job, just, just really beating you up is to know to look up because there's going to be a wave that's going to come in and maybe pick you up and, and give you that extra boost of energy to do some things that you hadn't done in a while or uh, want to try to do that's that's new. That's a really good point. I mean, in fact, it's it's a great analogy, right? Because like you said, there's always going to be waves coming. And you don't need to try to ride every wave. Some waves you can duck under, mm-hmm. right? Some waves you can just like let pass you by and then it's that skill of, of catching the wave and riding it, you know, that it's dangerous. Um, but, um, you know, what you definitely don't want to do is to not know the wave is coming and have it mm-hmm. crash on you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the hard part it is, you know, for me on the days that are rough and there have been days where I just woke up 
you know, there was a, I woke up one Monday and whatever I was dreaming about that night, I, I woke up and thought it was like Thursday. And by the time I got through the grogginess, I was like, it's only Monday. My whole week was shot. But having that awareness and, and having gone through those, you know, th- those waves of in the ups and downs, you know, I was able to be like, all right, I know this week's not great right now. So, you know, at least let me look around and see what's coming. And, uh, you know, once you can, you can have some self-awareness like that. Um, I think that's how you start to pick yourself up and get out of it. Were there any other warning signs at the point where you were getting closer to burnout that maybe someone outside of you alerted you to, or was it something that you were the one that detected it on your own? I don't think anyone else noticed maybe, maybe my wife, and I probably wasn't listening to her as close as I should have been, you know, maybe noticed some things, but uh, for me, it was just the constant, it, w- it was, became more of a constant dread of whatever I was doing. It was like, ah, oh, I, I got to schedule the next three months of B Brown bag or like, ah, oh, I got to go to VM world again. Like I, I really just don't want to get on a plane. Like just every time something was coming up, it was like, oh, there's a V mug. I'm, I'm going present that. And sound sounded like a great idea to to volunteer to present, you know, two months ago. But now that it's the day of, like, I really don't want to do that or, you know, working on presentations along the way. Everything, everything didn't feel great at that point. It was how I sort of figured out that the, you know, burnout was either coming or, or already here. And I just didn't realize it yet. Now, at the point at which you start to say no to something you've done for a long time, even though you know it's best for you, does that become extremely difficult if it's something you once enjoyed? Absolutely. I, the thing, there was a TEDx talk. The title is The uh, Magic of Not Giving a Bleep. Uh, and if I recall, I think the the presenter, I think she had a, a book on it. Maybe I could be totally making that up or confusing it with, with another uh, speaker that I saw. But the gist of what she was trying to say, and I'm certainly not going to do it justice, so it's definitely worth Googling, not on your work computer since there's a bleep in there. Uh, so do that from home, uh, not on the company network. Uh, but she talked about you know, how emotionally there's only so much you have to give. And she sort of related that back to like a budget. So if I've got four things on my schedule today, and two of them really don't give me any joy, it's perfectly okay as a person to say no thank you. And I think there's a lot of pressure from maybe more so with technology, or maybe I'm just not remembering the pre-technology days where you get an invite to something, it's right there, it's in your face, now it's an email, or somebody sends you a message on Hangouts or Slack or sends you a text or can get in touch with you literally anywhere because we walk around with our phones attached to us instead of being hung up on a wall in the house. So I think in a lot of ways, we forgot that it's perfectly okay to say, no, thanks. I don't want to do that. And that's okay. And you're not being mean by saying, no, thank you. You can be completely polite and and say, no, thank you. I don't want to, I don't want to go to that extracurricular work function. You know, after I've spent eight, nine hours with you, I want to go home and see my kid. I don't have to feel guilty about that. And and anytime I was being asked to do something, you know, I always sort of thought back to that, uh, that talk that she gave and was like, well, is this, is this a thing I want to spend my uh, budget on right now? 
or do I want to focus that somewhere else? That's that's great. I I think I've heard that same thing when it comes to task management, right? At the beginning of the day, the brain is like this massive drain on blood sugar, or it takes so much energy to run the human brain. There's only so many things that you can actually spend your attention on in a day. And especially towards the end of the day, you know, you have to come up against, you know, stuff like, um, you know, your family and, you know, in personal stuff. And, and unfortunately it is, does tend to be at the end of the day. Um, but, you know, we just need to make sure there's enough uh, blood sugar left for those things that are, that we find important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I just never thought about it. I think I thought about it in terms of like the, uh, you know, do this stuff early in the day because, you know, uh, it's super important and it's going to take a lot of energy and and attention, but I never thought past work. And so this is really uh, illuminating for me right now. You need to, you need to preserve uh, time and energy for all the stuff that is the real world. Your real life. Yeah. I bet that that's got to be pretty aligned with burnout is not leaving enough time and energy to deal with the world, right? Past work and, and burnout has to be, you know, pretty tightly correlated with running out of that energy, you know, early in the day. And then it becomes this vicious cycle, right? Like when, when you run out too early and then you also need to like wake up the next day and hit the ground running you're burning a lot more energy and you're dipping into the reserves. And then all of a sudden there's nothing left in the tank and you wake up and you, and you can't even get out of bed. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, so another part of my career that I picked up at EMC and a little bit with the Brown bag uh, around like how to manage projects and, and getting into diving into scrum and agile a bit more in terms of like a project management framework, I think also sort of, you know, aligns to that sort of budgeting your energy and your time and what you can do, you know, and there are some days where maybe, you know, you've got, you know, you know, let's call it five bucks in your, in your, in your budget to, to spend, to pay out for things throughout the course of the day. And there's others where you might think you've got five and after you spend one, you're like, ah, nope, there's nothing left. Uh, while it was actually empty. So, uh, you know, being able to, to plan and pivot is, is a, is a good skill to have and realizing that, you know, yeah, I've only spent $1 so far out of my, uh, my budget for the day, but I know if I spend the last four, like I'm going to be pretty useless, you know, tomorrow. And I've still got three more days after that to get through the week. So, Am I better served spending that five dollars Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and maybe taking unplanned Tuesday off, even if it's gonna, you know, maybe a deadline gets pushed or whatever? But deadlines getting pushed are are probably better, in my opinion, than deadlines being met with poor solutions that end up not working out, anyways. Or deadlines pushed unexpectedly because everybody's burned out. Yeah. Or in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. Even more severe. I feel like I, I read, a, I heard a story about somebody who had a note or some kind of reminder in their phone that told them that they needed to leave some for home, leave something in the tank for the for the family, 
And that's, that's all I could think about while you're talking about your experience. Yeah, we, we got probably, probably thanks to my daughter, but really more because we, we didn't do a great job of remembering things. It was, uh, we put everything in our Google calendars. So there are days where I'll get 20 invites from my wife because she's planning something and it's an invite for every single thing that she's got going on just so we don't forget. And we make it a habit of regularly, not so much in 2020 because we weren't going anywhere, but regularly checking in on that calendar. And it's like, oh, Wednesday, that thing's coming up. So I would know going into Wednesday morning that, you know, where there's a dance recital or uh, some some other event going on family-wise that I knew I had to leave money for. So, you know, writing stuff down, having, you know, if a calendar works for you, it works for, for my family. That's great. I know people who love doing like almost mini project management things or to-do list apps, you know, whatever works for you to, to remind yourself that there's the, the important stuff uh, to do after work in addition to the day job. So putting, getting all that in one spot so you can, you can step back and, you know, look up at your wall. If writing stuff down on a, on a whiteboard or a clockboard works for you, you know, whatever it is, just so you can see everything together and, and recognize where maybe you've got to pull something back. Like maybe it's not the best idea to work an all nighter on Tuesday when I'm supposed to take my kid to something on Wednesday if I can move stuff around or reschedule a thing. That's uh, super healthy. I think, I think I'm going to have to uh, do more to adopt that. I think um, that makes total sense. You know, if you, we manage our work calendars that way, right? Like, Oh no, that conflicts with this other thing. So I can't do that. And actually I can't take that meeting cause I, that'll be my fourth meeting, you know, back to back to back to back. Um, but then we'll turn around and not pay attention to that kind of thing for home. And, you know, the meetings, you know, quote unquote meetings that we have with our, you know, significant others or their kids with, you know, other parts of the family. And, and uh, I could definitely see how that impacts and <laughs> lowers the quality of those interactions. Yeah, absolutely. Never mind just the stuff you forget. You know, when you're trying yeah. to, when you're trying to just do it on the fly, uh, like you said, you wouldn't try to do it at work. You've got project plans in your, your, your work calendar that stuff's stacked up in, but then we walk out of work and we're like, I'm going to remember everything. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. There's almost, only so much Ram in that brain. Yeah. I got to replace a couple chips, I think. Yeah. Can't find my screwdriver though. <laughs> Well, I hear persistent memory is cheaper, so keep that in mind. You still need some DRAM, but as long as the ratio is right. I think Nick was talking about making sure that you you have stuff. It, it doesn't need to be on the same die. Yeah. That, that's what you're saying, right? Isn't it? You mentioned uh, uh, getting into uh, Scrum, though. And uh, I think I've only peripherally known that as like a, like a flavor or an implementation of like agile development. Mm -hmm. um, is that how you're using it or were you using it as like a generic project management solution? So we started talking about it. Matthew Broberg, I think, brought it up. We used to do this thing uh, up here. Around, it was around EMC, but then sort of just branched out and pulled some other people in. We called it a nerd herd. 
where we, everyone just rolled into a Dunkin' Donuts, you know, before work and grabbed their coffee. And we all sat around and, and geeked out for a little bit. And then I think it was him that brought up th- this idea of Kanban and like being able to, to track what you're doing in a very simple format and with the understanding that as a, the way humans are, are really truly wired is we can really only do one thing at a time. So if I'm trying to write a script for uh, my web application while working in SQL management studio, like I'm, I'm probably going to trip over myself because they're two pretty fundamentally different things at the end of the day, uh, even if they are related. So this sort of this idea to lay things out in a very simple way, like here's all the things I know I need to do. Are there any things that need to get, you know, what's the order they need to get done? And like, I've got to do one before I do two and before I do three. So let me put those in order. Are any of those things going to be, am I waiting on anything to get any of those things accomplished? So if I need to get some prereq in order to do number one, oh, and number two relies on number one, I know I can't start any of those things right now. So that sort of led me into investigating how that was being used and where it's where I found Agile and Scrum. And like you mentioned, it, it's when I first picked it up, it was really everything I could find on it was around like software development. But as I started reading about it and thinking about really what the point they were trying to get to was, is like, yeah, that's great for software development, but why can't I use that as a sysadmin or a systems engineer? I've still got to plan my work. I've still got to deliver things to my team or to my company. I can do, I can apply those same concepts in that same methodology as a sysadmin. I said, you know, I think this actually fits for training when I was at EMC. Like, let's try to do this from a a content perspective. Like, how do I put out enough content to people in the field that they've got what they need? Maybe it's not fully polished on day one, but then I can get some feedback and make the changes and then give them the final polished version a week from now, but they've already got a leg up on what they need to know. And then I can finish it off based on uh, the feedback they've had. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm a scrum fanboy a little bit, but uh, I sort of fail to see where scrum doesn't fit, whether it's technology, whether it's um, any other, you know, professional function that you might have to do. Uh, it's really about identifying the work that actually needs to get done and understanding how you can, how much you can reasonably do with whatever time frame you're given. Well, and that, that focus on one thing at a time and getting the fast feedback is very much in line with the idea of deliberate practice, which we know leads to mastery. Yeah, it's if you're trying to do too much and you know, for, for, I've been in roles where I've been the only IT person or, or operations person at my company. So, you know, you're, you're, you're spread out so thin and, and all over the place trying to support everybody. You're not focused on any one thing and you, you don't necessarily get that mastery. So, you know, whether it's just planning out your day or using it as a way to figure out how to get, uh, stay focused, I think is, is a super helpful tool. Is that something? that you feel like is able to be applied, like not just in work, but throughout like, like non-work functions too, like, uh, you know, I don't know, family trip planning and, you know, planning for holidays and, and those kinds of things. Um, 
that maybe could help to combat, you know, impending burnout, um, you know, to, to, to keep uh, those kinds of things at bay. Yeah, I do. I, I think you can use it just about anywhere if you're diligent about it. I think where Scrum and Agile becomes tricky is there's this misconception that it means you can do more work when in reality it's about prioritizing the right work to get done at the right time. So as long as you recognize that, yes, you're going to spend a decent amount of time planning. So whether you're going to, you're trying to plan out that family vacation or a family gathering or uh, application upgrade at work, you're going to spend a lot of time not feeling like you're not doing anything. And that's okay. Because the outcome of that plan is, is knowing what you can achieve realistically when you can achieve it. And there's not going to be as many gotchas in the end. I remember at EMC as w- my team was sort of piloting how to apply Scrum to building the content that we were working on. There was another team who uh, came over to me and said, Hey, we heard, we heard you're doing this like scrum thing. Like, can you like explain it to us? And I was like, you know, you know, happy to help you learn about it and, and whatnot. Got together with that team, showed them what we were doing, explained how we were using it from a training perspective, getting feedback to deliver things quickly, iterate on it, make the changes where maybe we missed the requirement or misunderstood a requirement. And the team looked at it and said, we don't have enough time to do that sort of planning. We just got to get stuff done, which is a great theory, but they never actually ended up producing anything that was usable because they didn't spend any time planning. So it's sort of that catch 22. It's like, yeah, I spent two days not writing anything. I didn't write any content. I didn't write any labs. I didn't set up my lab environment and do any upgrades. But on Wednesday morning, I know exactly what I need to do now. And I can actually get that done in a planned, reasonable order so that I'm not burnt out just doing everything and and wasting, you know, extra time on on tasks that aren't required. Yeah. It's the idea of giving yourself everything full kit in the manufacturing world. Yeah. Yep. I, when I, uh, when I've presented on in the past, the, the example I like to use is, you know, I'll, I'll ask the room, you know, has anyone replaced the faucet like in your bathroom or whatever? And normally there's at least a handful of people that have replaced the faucet or, or something along those lines. And I always ask, how long would it take you? You know, you replace your faucet. And most people would, you know, oh, you know, I turn off the water and, you know, I disconnect. Yeah, I can probably do that in, you know, 30 minutes, maybe an hour. I was like, cool, you got extra faucets in your house? And they're like, well, no. I was like, oh, so you got to drive to the store, right? Where's the closest uh, hardware store where you can buy a faucet? Oh, that's a 30 minute drive. You just blew your budget because you just told me you could replace a faucet in 30 minutes. You haven't even gotten to the store yet to buy your faucet. Now you got to find it, check out, drive back home. So you're, you're an hour and a, you told me 30 minutes and now it's an hour and a half. If you told me 30 minutes at work and two hours later, you haven't given me a solution yet. Now I'm annoyed. Right. So it sort of brings to light all of those uh, supporting things that you need to get done in order to really be successful at doing something. Now, with your current role as a cloud systems engineer, I imagine this came in handy even more. Yeah, there's a, there's a ton of moving targets. There's a lot of different teams uh, involved in my current role. 
that maybe aren't directly things that I need to do for that particular team, but I know that there might be some output from another team or another group that's going to be something that I'm going to require before I can finish something off. So like, yeah, I might be able to stand up some new instances in AWS or, you know, migrate a, a SQL server to RDS or something like that. But if I don't have the things that I need from other teams to ha- finish that off, I can at least have them documented and highlighted in a way so that it is visible to everyone across the organization that like, oh, yeah, like team one needs needs to finish this. They're planning on that taking two weeks. It's going to take me two weeks post getting that their output in order to do something. And you've only budgeted two weeks total for this project, which in theory, I can do my part in two weeks and they can do their part in two weeks, but they rely on one another. And you can show those dependencies and relationships between the two. I have a suspicion, uh, and maybe this is experience, that when I point out those things to my family and to my wife, um, that that's that I need to couch that conversation in a certain way. Um, and I imagine that that's true for my coworkers as well, as far as uh, pointing out that a, a target is probably unreasonable. Yeah, it, it's, you know, one of the things, and I missed the, the, you know, the formal classes I took for Scrum, sort of the, the, the self-learning I went through. I never thought of a fixed date as a requirement, but the, uh, once the, education department at EMC really dove in and adopted Scrum, the formal Scrum master we had, you know, I was struggling with how to work with this other group. And she pointed out, she's like, listen, if they're giving you a fix, like they need this on August 1st, that becomes a requirement. That has to become something that you negotiate on. If you've got four people on your team and you know this, this is the amount of work they can produce. If August 1st is a hard requirement, well, then you know, maybe they don't get X, Y, and Z. They only get A, B, and C. Now, if you're willing to move August 1st, now you can get X, Y, and Z. But once all those things are listed out and you really think even even if something is like a deliverable date or a go-live date as a, as a Scrum requirement, then you can say, okay, if that can't move, if that date is set in stone, there's no changing it, well, then we just work backwards. Here's the things that we can get done by that date. So... Not everything can be set in stone, right? Like uh, all these features and all this and all that and all this infrastructure and the date has to be this. It's like, well. One of them's got to give. Yeah. Dependency mapping at its finest. You're Instead of doing your app dependency mapping before you migrate an application, you're doing it for this whole project. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. And, and understanding those things, like, it, it, as silly as it sounds, it, it might not be possible for somebody, you know, without the background to really like dive into that and and illuminate all those things and then understand like what's reasonable and what's not reasonable. Yeah, I think one of the one of the cool tools that gets is not necessarily I guess it's part of Scrum in a way, it is that Kanban board is having that visualization of all of the task and the flow that any particular task needs to go through. So you're, they, you know, on the Kanban board, they call them swim lanes. So there's like all your, everything that needs to happen, all your, your backlog of things that you want to get done. There's things that are blocked. There's things that are in progress. There's things that are now done. 
And you can sort of tweak those swim lanes to fit your project management methodology, your, your company culture. Well, or, you know, maybe you've got security requirements where anything, any script that I write before I can use it in production needs to get reviewed by a security team. Will you add a swim lane for that? And if you know that that security team needs two weeks notice before they're going to review your script, well, now you can factor those timelines in and, and you don't get caught off guard of, oh, yeah, I know I can write the script in two weeks, but I also know that the security team's got to review it and they need two weeks. So right off the bat, we're talking four weeks. So if, you, if you're thinking you're going to, I can do it in two, but I can't give it to you in two because there's other dependencies that we have as an organization or, or whatever, however you're using it to... Uh, to map those out, put it up on a, on a board so that everyone can look at it. And, be, you know, it's not dissimilar to a Gantt chart back in the day, but you're not trying to do it all at once and, and step, you know, I'm going to deliver you step one so you can look at it. And then I'm going to go work on step two versus I'm going to work on all the steps and then deliver it to you at the end and realize I misinterpreted step three. I really appreciate the, uh, the, uh, the 10 minute boot camp on, on Scrum like that. That's been super helpful for me. It makes me want to go investigate it a little bit deeper. There's, there's a couple cool, uh, like really short books. I'll send you a link to them after this. So if you want to include them in the, in the notes, they were very easy to digest and short reads. And it was just very like, Oh, well, when you put it that way, it makes total sense. I get that now. Yeah. And if they're on audible, then I'm just going to have to add them to my reading list. Do love audiobooks. Yeah, we will definitely, uh, um, definitely would love those links and those pointers. Jonathan, uh, really appreciate the time that you spent with us here um, this evening, uh, kind of reviewing your career and a, lot, a bunch of lessons learned here. Um, I, I think it's going to take uh, um, some time for Nick and I to really digest like all the stuff that the cool stuff that you've you've outlined and and what we've learned. Uh, this evening. Really appreciate your time. Well, enjoyed being on. Glad uh, glad you caught me on. Glad I saw the wave coming. <laughs> glad you're able to surf the wave. Thanks again. with the discussion of Scrum and Agile uh, methodologies. That was fascinating for me because that's, you know, usually like a software engineering thing, but really it's a generic, uh, you know, project management, you know, and task management uh, type of idea. But um, I also want to back up and make sure that we talk again about just the methodology that Jonathan used to kind of pull back from uh, burnout, just that peeling away of, of, stuff until he found you know enough had been peeled away yeah and i really enjoyed hearing him describe what it was like to give up something that he had once very much enjoyed and kind of the the process of doing that and being okay with it it's probably pretty tough to give up what you once loved once it becomes a part of your identity so I could see how it would be a struggle, but if you're not feeling like yourself and not feeling well mentally, physically, then yeah, you need to do something about it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure it's like something that all of us face, you know, especially, you know, right now we're recording in uh, kind of the middle of 2021 with lots of outside stresses with coronavirus and, and whatnot. So, you know, probably a lot of us are facing, you know, issues of, you know, feeling cooped up and uh, having a lot of outside anxiety and stress piled on top of all of the career stuff that we have going on. So um, I think very timely to, to hear about, you know, that method. It's, you know, one thing, maybe not going to work for everybody, but um, it's really good to hear like how, you know, one person walked out of the desert. 100%. And we need to be telling these success stories because there are people out there who probably are in the burnout zone pretty heavy. You know, Tom Hollingsworth talked about it a little bit in a previous episode and how he got out of it by setting achievable goals and not reaching too much. And, you know, Jonathan peeled back the layers. That's another great approach. So if you're someone who might be what we would call racing on the edge of burn of burnout as uh, as I coined from Tom Hollingsworth you need to be able to recognize it and hopefully you could do something about it before it's too late and something bad really happens yeah definitely i think um those tom hollingsworth uh, episodes are are totally worth going back and listening to i think that was 125 126 127 um if you are uh not in the uh, table of contents for our podcast, which we, you probably aren't because I don't think we've made one. Very, uh, very cool discussion and uh, very, very timely, as you point out. So anything else uh, before we get out of here? I just want to say that we want to help people tell their stories. If you're listening, I'm sure you have a story of a unique experience that would help somebody move their career forward. Don't be shy. Reach out because we are always listening for good stories, aren't we, John? Definitely, 100%. Just a reminder that we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if you were being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. All right, farewell listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White, at BJourneyman, Finnick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore, signing off. Adios. Thank you.